Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to zero in this morning on verses 6 through 14. Paul continues to talk to us about how to live out the, this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ as the result of the extravagant grace of Christ. We have been drawn into the life of Christ, and Christ has taken up residence within us through his Holy Spirit, and, and he is working within us. He is, he, he is, his light is shining in us, and it is binding the darkness, and Paul is, has been talking to us about some very specific ways that we give expression to our new lives in Jesus Christ. The, the imagery has, he has been using up to this point is that imagery of putting off and putting on. As I have suggested, um, I think what he has in mind is this idea that we have been made uh, into this royal priesthood in Christ. We are being built into a holy temple and as servants of the temple, like the priests of old, they had to take off their normal clothing and put on the, their, their, the clothing of the priesthood before they would enter the, t the tabernacle or enter the temple and go about the ministry of God there. And this is what Paul has been emphasizing to us, to put off the old and to put on the new. Now he transitions to the exact same ideas about how to, to uh, embrace and embody our new lives in Jesus Christ. But he turns now to the imagery of darkness and light. And so let's give our reverent attention to God's word this morning. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning, You Were Darkness, Now You Are Light. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Heavenly Father, help us this morning to indeed look upon our Savior in the words of your scripture and through our Savior to look upon you as our Heavenly Father who has revealed himself as light from the beginning and has revealed that, that our lives with you for all eternity will be lived out in the glory of the light of your presence. And so, Lord, help us to soak it in, just as we like to, to go outside and to soak in the, the sun's light as it warms us and as it, as it feels good and as it infuses vitamin D, right, Lord? 
Help us to see that there is a better light for us to soak in this morning. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a young believer in my early 20s, I found myself living in an area where I was, I was cut off um, from finding good fellowship with other Christians that were my age. And so one of the things that I did was I attended a weekly Bible study um, that was made up by a, a bunch of the old people in my church. You know, they were like in their 40s. Seemed like a world away. It does still. <laughs> One day I'll get there. But, I mean, a maturity. Years I'm past. But it was a wonderful, wonderful Bible study. And uh, one of the things that we did was uh, we would listen to a sermon um, that was by a preacher named Tommy Nelson, uh, who was pastoring a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, a conservative Bible church, uh, reformed-ish in certain aspects. Um, but it was, he was a, 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 it was good, solid, biblical, expositional, theological, but also applicational uh, looks into the scripture. And one of the, the lesson, one of the illustrations I remember him talking about and one of the points that he was talking about is this unique calling that we have um, as people of the light to be those who are sharing that light, right? Jesus made us light. Jesus has set us on a hill to shine as his lights within this world, not creating a light within ourselves to shine, but receiving that light from him and reflecting that to those who are around us. But sometimes it can become very easy to lose our testimony. It becomes very easy to, instead of uh, shedding light or sharing light, to instead, often we can, we can, Spread shade. I'm trying to be cool. I don't even know how to use it. And he told this story. He was the quarterback of the of the football team for North uh, the North North Texas University. He was a young convert himself at the time, and uh, one of his offensive linemen were all, was also a young convert. And and a lot of times, young converts. Uh, in, their, in their late teens, early 20s, who have lived sinful lives, really know what it is to taste of grace and to taste of the new life of Jesus Christ. And you want that for others. When you not only you know, know theologically that you're free, but that you have experienced freedom from the darkness. You want others to have that. And so he told this story about he and his offensive linemen. They were part of uh, FCA, or the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and they were trying to use their platform on the team, because uh, they were two of the leaders, um, as a way of sharing Christ. And they were, they were trying to share Christ through their lives and through their words. 
And one of the things that they kept running up against, he said, was that they would be talking to one of their teammates about Christ and almost inevitably, whomever they were talking to would say, well, yeah, but so-and-so says he's a, he's a Christian and he does this with me. He does that with me. Now, he likes to condemn me even as we're doing it. But, you know, he says he's a believer. And if that's what it is to be a believer, maybe you guys are just trying to be too radical. Maybe you guys need to just kind of relax a little bit. What was happening? Their testimony of Christ was not having the effect that it could have because of this other person claiming to be in Christ who was not living as an embodiment of the grace that he had supposedly received. And he was creating a muddied testimony. So Tommy and his, and I think it was the center, so they were already, you know, a team there. Um, but they decided, you know what, we need to have a talk with this brother. And, and Tommy was like, you know, let's talk with him. Let's, let's you know, let him know what's happening and let's see what we can do to try to encourage him, right? And um, the offensive lineman took that like an offensive lineman, which was not all smart and sophisticated like a quarterback was trying to describe. And so what happened was it was after practice. They were uh, going back to their dorm. And uh, at, back then, football teams were still allowed to live together in dorms not a good decision to make, but they were in the elevator and they were starting to go up to their floor and the offensive lineman mid-floor hit the stop button on the elevator and turned to the guy and backed him into the corner, <laughs> standing over him, basically letting him know what, what the issue was as an offensive lineman. It wasn't very, like, you know, heartfelt needs-based. Well, it was needs-based, just not what you're thinking. And Tommy tells a story about how he was like, good word, good word, and had to <laughs> pull the offensive lineman back, right? Had to pull him back and try to re-navigate this conversation. And what's amazing to me there is that really stuck with me because when I first became a believer, I, was, I had that same aggression that had been used going towards the darkness that was now moving towards the light. And, and there were times that as I was trying to share the light with people, I was probably exhibiting more darkness through my actions than the light that was in my words. How easy is it for us to want to be people of the light and to even want to share the light, but if we're not careful, we can take in the darkness and exhibit that even as we're trying to do the right thing. It is so easy for the darkness to creep in to our lives as believers, both in terms of of our own personal walk, but especially as that uh, spills over into our testimony. Paul here is talking to a group of, of believers who live in a culture that is 
mired in darkness. We just talked about some of those specifics last week, especially with the way immorality and greed was tied to their worship, was tied to their socioeconomic existence, was tied to the culture, was tied to the government. That the, the land in which they lived, it was mired in darkness from bottom to top. In fact, by the way, we talked about how all of this came um, um, as a result of them being one of the centers of Artemis worship, the goddess Artemis. Do you know how she was known? She was a moon goddess. She was a goddess of the night. I wonder why Paul is talking about darkness and light here. You see, they had a cultural background that this would have, been, this would have stood out to them. The, the god who was dominating that area was a god of darkness. And Paul was reminding them, you used to be in that darkness. You were under that culture. You were under that worship. You were, you were part of that socioeconomic, that government system. You were part of that worldview. But you are no longer. In Christ, you are now children of light. It is so easy for us to, even when we remember that we are people of light, and even when we desire to be a people of light, that how easy it can be to allow darkness, not, in our, not just to be in our lives, but how easy it is to, to even utilize the darkness to try to minister the light. And so Paul here gives us two extremely important imperatives. Let no one deceive you with empty words, he says, and do not become partners with them. Partners here is probably better translated partakers, meaning do not be a partaker of that worldview, its cultures, its values, its attitudes, its practices. That is not who you are. Don't let those things into your life. They will kill you in your walk, and they will kill the ministry of your church. So let no one deceive you with empty words, and do not become partners with them, because you're no longer in the darkness. You are in the light. In Jesus Christ, the God who has expressed himself, especially with his presence and his power in light, this is the God who has taken up residence within you as a believer. It is the God who has taken up, taken up residence with us as a local church, as a local temple expression of him. From the beginning of creation, when God first created, God did not create and put creation in its final form. When he first created, as we read moments ago, it was dark. It was formless. It was void. And yet at the end of the week, 
There is, after refrain after refrain, and there was darkness, and there was light, day one. And there was darkness, and there was light, day two. Darkness and light, darkness and light, darkness and light, darkness and light, day seven. No darkness mentioned. Only light. And what has happened within that course of those six phases is nothing less than God through his presence and his power changing emptiness into being filled formlessness into being structured and it's all good and God loves it he takes it in and then there's worship this is how God revealed himself from the very beginning that the world he made he then entered and he entered in the in the form of his spirit hovering over the waters and in the light of his presence which bound the darkness. We see this throughout the history of redemption. God using this as a way of helping us understand what it means for him to have come into this world that he has made. Not only in original creation, but even after the fall of that original creation. Even after the original creation was plunged into sin and misery. As it was plunged into darkness, God did not remain outside. He invaded once again. Even when God came to his people who who were drowning in darkness, in bondage and slavery in Egypt, God came and, and he revealed himself as the God who was with them and the God who was fighting for them in the presence of the, the glory cloud during the day and the fire at night. Where then that came and took up residence enveloping Mount Sinai. And where the light of God's presence and power that had removed them from the darkness of Egypt and was taking them to this new kingdom. That light and the, uh, that presence, that power went with them. And then it took up residence in the tabernacle as the glory cloud left Mount Sinai and came into the Holy of Holies. Where the tabernacle itself and then later the temple was a place that had no windows. And yet when you would pull back the first curtain doorway and go into a space that would be dark, you saw a lampstand. Where the light that was a representation of God's presence and his power with his people, was there making sure that that space was not dark. And then as you went, if you could have, gone into the Holy of Holies, the glory cloud. God has been revealing himself as light, his power and his presence to bind the darkness. This is seen in the coming of Jesus himself, As John 1 tells us, using the language of Genesis 1, that Jesus is the God who has come into creation. And that Jesus is light. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that this light 
of the presence and power of God here within this world and among his people is centered in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we behold the face of Christ, we behold the glory, cloud, presence, and power existence of God with us. And then John in 1 John tells us that because this is who God is, if you are in Christ, what that means is that God's light has come in and it is binding the darkness within your hearts. And right now, you and I, we live in a, in a time and an existence that is like that first creation week where our lives reflect darkness and light, darkness and light, darkness and light. And yet, in the same way that the original creation had darkness bound so that it became all light, so, beloved, in the new creation, you and I who experience darkness and light right now will one day only experience light. But until that day comes, we are to cultivate that life, that light within our lives now. And that we are to pursue living as expressions of that light now. We are to cultivate the fruit of the light. By the way, the King James here, not sure why, but instead of the fruit of the light, they say the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> But it's the same idea. When God is present in your life, he bears fruit in your life because his presence and power binds the darkness. And he brings light into you. It is for us to bask in that light, to receive that light, to cultivate that light. Not just to presume it, not just take it for granted, not, certainly not to ignore it. And certainly, listen to me here. Certainly not to be able to speak the right words about it, but yet disregard it in our living. We are to be a people of the light. Which means we learn, we embrace, so that we can embody and so that we can reflect. And so Paul tells us, let no one deceive you with empty words and do not become partakers with them. Specifically here, as we mentioned, Paul is speaking with regards to immorality. He is speaking with regards to ideas that have to do with certain sexual preferences and practices. He even goes so far later here in the text to say we shouldn't even be talking about the things that they do in the privacy of darkness. And remember, I described what they did openly last week. I'm not going to do it again. And if the things that I said are what they did openly, my goodness, what was being done in dark. One person that I read said, that there was such a rampant ex acceptance and practice of really, really weird dark practices that if you were someone who didn't, do, didn't engage, you were considered weird. Not, let me listen, not the Christian who wasn't, but 
Someone who was a follower of Artemis, but who didn't go into the really crazy stuff, you were considered weird. And what Paul is saying here is that they are being called to be very purposeful in rejecting this dark world view, its attitudes, and the way those attitudes and values express themselves in practices. And you and I are called to do the same. But here's what I'm going to tell you right now. It's really easy, I said this last week, it's really easy for us to become self-righteous and hypocritical right now. Because when we look at the challenges in our current situation, where a recent Supreme Court judge nominee refused to define the word woman, we know she knows what it means. She is a very smart individual. She is very intelligent. She, she has studied. She has read. She's not dumb. She's not stupid. Her un, and it was not an inability. It was an unwillingness. That's different. But the day and age that, in which we live, it has now become dangerous to define the word woman. Okay? And here's what becomes real easy for us. Well, she just must be an idiot. It is so easy to define. To define. She just, there must be something really wrong with her. These people that are, are promoting certain practices now, it is so easy for us to wag our finger at it. But here's the thing. If you were to do a little bit of research to try to look into why, why are people embracing something that seems to be so new, that seems to be so radical. I think what you'll find is, one, it is not new at all because it goes back to the garden. And I think what you will also find is that what is motivating these new values these new attitudes, these new expressions are things that you and I wrestle with on a daily basis as well. Carl Truman, who is uh, a confessionally reformed Presbyterian, he's part of our tradition, has written two books in the last few years to help us understand how we have gotten here. His first book is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and the Road to the Sexual Revolution. If you are someone who has a background in philosophy uh, or who enjoys engaging in philosophy, this is the book for you. If you are normal, this is not the book for you. And so friends of his begged him to write a second version and to write it for the layperson. I don't know that he still achieved that, but it's way closer. But his second book is called Strange New World, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. 
We live in a day and age in which this idea of expressive individualism and this emphasis upon the therapeutic has taken over the day. Now, what this does not mean is that is that everyone is living very um, purposefully and knowingly according to these therapeutic um, ideas and, and, and uh, expressions. What it means is the culture at large has so been taken over by these things that people have embraced them without not knowing it. You and I have embraced it in different ways without knowing it. Truman uses his grandfather, no, his, his father, as an example. Not about the obvious issues with immorality, right? That, that, that's low-hanging fruit. But he asks, he said, if I were to ask my dad, does your job make you happy? He said, my dad would look at me like I had two heads. That was not a question that his generation asked. They did not live in the day of the therapeutic. He did not live in a day of individual expression, uh, uh, of the in expressive individualism. His response would have been, well, my job gives me purpose. It allows me to provide a, a home for my, chi my children. It allows me to provide food, clothing, and it allows us to, to live a life where we worship and we live as God's people. See, that's a different question, isn't it? Does your job make you happy? See, that's a new question. Now, you and I, we, we hear that question and we think, well, of course that's a question. Some of us will use that question to make decisions this week. I'll prove it to you. If I said, please show up uh, this Thursday evening because we're going to do a prayer meeting, some of you would choose not to come, and some of it would be motivated by, well, I don't know if that's going to make me happy. That might be difficult. I might have to be, someone might think that I'm going to pray out loud, and that makes me nervous and scared. We, you and I, we can and have been influenced by the therapeutic. We have been influenced by expressive individualism. If I were to invite you to a prayer meeting and what you asked yourself was, one, do I not have a prior commitment and will this bring glory to God by attending, then you know that you're not functioning in answering that question according to the therapeutic. Now, this is not meant to point fingers. I don't have enough, point, I don't have enough fingers to point at me when it comes to this kind of thinking with this kind of influence. I make my decisions like this all the time. Well, I enjoy it. Will I see it as beneficial? Well, how do I answer what is beneficial? That kingdom prayer will be offered in order that doors would be opened and that darkness would be bound? Or is it not going to be a drudgery 
to listen to requests about Aunt Martha Joe's ingrown toenail. Right? It is so easy for you and me to have been influenced by the therapeutic and expressive individualism and to use that in our own value systems with how we spend our time, spend our money, what we engage in, not just with our daily lives, but even in the ministry of the local church. And so I say this not to point fingers and to make you feel bad and say, okay, now everybody show up Tuesday night as a test. I'm not saying that. If you want to take it that way, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) Do not take it that way. But what I'm saying is, if it is this easy for you and me to do this as children of the light, how much easier and almost with no defense does this happen in the hearts of people who are still trapped in darkness? They don't need our self-righteous hypocrisy pointing fingers at them. That is not what Paul means here by exposing the darkness. What they need is for us to embody Christ in such a way that when we do speak of this Christ, that our words and our lives match up well enough that they can't point a finger and say, well, you say this, but I've seen you respond the same way as me to Trump or to Biden or to this politician or to that politician. I've seen you respond in the same way that I do to this moral issue in society or to that cultural challenge that is before us. Brothers and sisters, if you don't think your neighbors and your families are examining you like that, then you are naive. Because they are. Because they don't want the light to expose them. And so they will cast shade as quickly as they are able. We have to cultivate the light and to live mindfully over what the light is and to practice the mortification of darkness in our own lives so that the light is shining through us as the light of Christ reflects off of us. We absolutely need to be engaging our culture with the dangers of these new values and these new attitudes and these new practices. But we also have to be humble enough to recognize that we are doing them too. We just don't do them to the same extreme. And if that makes you feel better about yourself, repent. I'm sorry, there was a cough. If that makes you feel better about yourself, repent. All right? I did, sometimes I have to be remembered to let the linebacker face not take over. 
If you're struggling with self-righteousness, repent. Okay? This is how serious this is. And do this so that you can really be this channel of love. So that you can really do what the Apostle Paul has told us at the end of chapter 4. So that you can be gentle. So that you can be tender-hearted as you expose darkness. Gentle as you expose darkness. So that you can forgive without hesitation or reservation because you have been forgiven so that you can reflect God in loving others, not because they love you and not because they respond well to your love. All of this has come together, beloved, to understand in this last this, last, this reference he has in verse 14, which is not a quote of any one Old Testament verse, but it really is kind of a mashup of the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about God's people who were in darkness and needed a light. And as we, as we recite every advent in chapter 9, that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That's us in Christ. And as Isaiah comes to a close in chapter 60, he says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. We, the light of Christ has shone into us so that we can shine among the darkness in this world. And so that we can be a people of hope, a people of life, a people of the presence and power of God here and now. And so moments from now, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. Because what God give, the light that God shares with us is not just light that comes in ideas. It's not just light that comes in morality, even though it does come in those ways. It's a light that doesn't just come in theology. It does, it's a light that doesn't just come in the preaching of the word. It is a light that is seen and handled and touched and tasted as we hold the body and blood of Christ, and as by faith we receive them and ingest them into ourselves as a renewing of our bringing Christ deeper into our hearts, into our souls, so that the light of God would penetrate even, dark, even deeper into the darkness that still resides there. Because, beloved, you have to open yourself up to the light so that you can be a conduit of the light to those around you. This is what it means for us to be children of the light, to feast upon the abundance of God and to drink from the river of his delights. For God is a fountain of light and in his light do we see and when we see that light, that light shines through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for the help that we need to fully embrace more and more deeply within our, the depths and recesses of our souls 
the light of your truth, the light of your beauty, the light of your goodness, the light of your righteousness, the light of your presence and power that is binding the darkness that is there. Help us not to be afraid of your light. Help us not to minimize your light. And certainly, Lord, help us not to muddy it to those around us. Help us to be a humble people who entrust ourselves to the finished work of Jesus Christ so that in his humility we can take up the cross, follow him, and bear witness to to his greatness, his goodness, his grace, and his glory. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.